You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with Daria and Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Jeannie Montalvo. Jeannie Montalvo is a Grammy-nominated audio engineer and radio producer. In 2017, she was nominated for a Grammy as a mastering engineer for Vladimir Horowitz, the unreleased live recordings, and her recording of Multiverse by Bobby Sanabra's Latin Jazz Big Band was nominated for Best Latin Jazz Album at the 2012 Grammys. She has worked with Spike Lee, Al Cooper, Ivy Queen, making movies with Ruben Blades, and more. She broke into radio after receiving her master's in music technology from NYU and has worked for National Public Radio, Bloomberg Radio, the Duolingo podcast and projects for New York Times and Sony. She is also creator of Live from Latino USA, a live video series that features Latin talent from Jesse Reyes to Jose Feliciano and is currently a treasurer for the NYC chapter of AES. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. How are you doing, Jeannie? I'm doing well. Like I said, I just had... Um laryngitis last week so I'm uh, recovering slightly uh, my voice but everything is fine well I always like to start with the same question which is a big question Mm -hmm. I think so we like we go back in time and just tell us about how you got into audio in the very first place and about your roots and kind of education etc awesome all of the things all everything Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so uh it's funny because i didn't know audio existed actually um i went to college uh in florida because i wanted to be near disney that was my sole purpose in life (laughs) um and uh i didn't know what i wanted to major in so i did like generic the first year and then i had to choose so I ended up uh, signing up for a music minor and a mass communications minor just because my mass communications minor, I had taken so many classes that I needed like one more to complete the <laughs> the minor. So I uh, did that. And then I did a major in a foreign language combination, it was called. So French and Spanish. Cool. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And then the last semester, I was like, I think I'm going to change my major to radio television because my roommate was in radio TV. And she was, I was always helping her with her projects mm-hmm. and somebody handed me, um, a, a version of cool edit pro, which, uh, is now Adobe. Like it, they bought out, like that's going to date me, but basically, yeah, that was a long time <laughs> ago. Um, and I started editing it with, and I remember the guy that was in radio TV, he was like, guys, you're really good at this because I would like edit stuff for my projects and edit music for dance groups and stuff. And like, I just had a knack for cutting stuff up. And um, my dad was like, no, you're not changing your major. You're done. Like, you're coming home. (laughs) So I went home and I, like, worked for a year. And I remember I was cleaning out my desk um, thinking about, like, maybe I'll go back to school because I was, like, working in a call center at the time. And (laughs) it's Mm. it's really fun uh, stuff. Um, (laughs) And... I found, uh, I was like, maybe I'll do music business, um, except I hate business, but I was like, fine. And then on the other page of the brochure was this degree called music engineering. And I was like, oh, what's that? And so I read the description and it was like all these light bulbs went off in my head. And I was like, oh, duh, like this is where I should be. This is what I should mm-hmm. be doing because it's like, I was, a, I was always kind of like sciencey, techie, nerdy. And, but I always, I always had the music thing. Like I had, that's why I did a music minor. So like, 
Um, I asked, look, started looking for programs. There weren't many master's programs at the time. Um, I didn't want to go to McGill in Canada. Like that was far <laughs> um, for me. I grew up in the South, so like it just wasn't really an option. Um, and so I started looking into doing a second bachelor's. Uh, so, uh, UM had a really great program at the time and that was the brochure that I had. And I, so I called them up and I was like, uh, you know, can I get in on your audition process for this year? La la la. What, how, how do I do the second bachelor's thing? And, um, and I was practicing for my jury, like not my jury, uh, the other thing, <laughs> the practicing for the audition at Georgia state university. Cause I grew up, I went to high school in, in a suburb of Atlanta, um, and I'm using their rehearsal rooms because I, all I had was an electric keyboard at home. So I, I wanted to practice on real pianos. And so I worked it out to use their practice rooms at Georgia State. And I was walking down the hallway. This story just got so long. I'm so sorry. I love this. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> um, anyways, I was walking down the hallway at Georgia State. And on this board, this cork board was like music recording degree. And I was like, what? Like, I wouldn't even have to leave, even though I didn't really like Atlanta. But um so I started, I started investigating and they were like, well, you know, the auditions are like very soon. Are you ready? And I was like, I've been like practicing my auditions because I'm an audition for UM. So yes, yes, I can do the auditions like quickly. And, um, and so I ended up auditioning for both. Um, and obviously, you know, UM is like super expensive and they also required they wouldn't let me do like a second bachelor's and jump in at like and count my bachelor's that I had and just right. do the end of the degree. They wanted me to do all four years again. And I was like, nah. So um, uh, Georgia State would. Uh, so I ended up doing a year at Georgia State uh, and I got into that year to just start directly into the recording program. And so I did a year there uh, and the program was was good, but there was only one teacher and he was teaching everything, like Oof. every single class. Um, so there wasn't much variety. And then, you know, he had some some things that made him be absent for a long time. So we were really getting taught by the TAs. And um, so I, I wasn't like. 100%. I learned a lot there, but I kind of was like, you know, it was a second bachelor's for me. So it wasn't like super important that I complete the degree there. Um, right. So I took the opportunity to look for a technical school in Spain because I was another thing that I wanted to do. And uh, I found a technical school in Barcelona and then went to Barcelona and finished uh, just a, like a night. It was a six month intensive of um, studio recording there. And that's the whole story. <laughs> Anyways, that's the schooling part at least <laughs> whoa how was it in barcelona how was that program barcelona Intensive. was cool it was great yeah i mean it was really cool it was it was interesting because it, there it's catalan is that you know i was like i grew up speaking spanish so i was like here i come and then it was you know there was a lot of um not beef with Catalan, but like, you know, they they have a very strong nationalism and to their language and their culture and stuff. And, you know, mm -hmm. like at one point they wanted to leave Spain and like be their own independent thing. But, um, but it was an amazing experience. I love Barcelona. Barcelona was amazing. And I literally, mm -hmm. I mean, I had growing away parties. Like I was never coming back. I went with like four suitcases and I was like, peace, <laughs> goodbye US, yeah. I'm never coming back. But you know, like, I couldn't get a visa. And then it was like, am I going to stay here? Like, and try to sort my visa out and teach English because that's, I mean, and, and after I was done, I, I taught English for a little while. 
And I was like, me teaching English does not supersede the things that I want to do in life. So like I ended up looking for the next, the next step in my journey. And that was that. No more Spain. <laughs> no more Spain. Oh. And you never yeah. went back? No, no. I went to visit. Oh, okay. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, no, good, good. I, didn't, I just, you know, I didn't, I, I'm not living there, obviously. I'm living in the next best place. <laughs> New York. So. Oh, New York. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was the next step then coming back from Spain? Um, so I went, um, I went to an audio engineering convention, the, the Europe one, and I met, uh, I did the student mentoring, um, which I'm always a big proponent of to everybody is to do student mentoring because I think it's great. And uh, the engineer that I got uh, was Jim Anderson. Um, he's a really great jazz uh, and uh, everything engineer. He's just great all around. Um, mm -hmm. And he and I was telling him that I wanted to go to New York City and that I didn't wasn't really sure what to do. And then I just finished my schooling and la la la. And he was like, you know, don't go to New York City just yet. Um, you need to go somewhere where you can make your mistakes first. So like, you know, thinking internship or whatever. And it was always a really great piece of advice that has always stuck with me because I kind of, I mean, that's super important. Like he's like, mm -hmm. once you do that, then you go to New York and, and play with, I mean, his actual words were like, you play with the big boys, which we all know is not, you know, we're not all boys, but <laughs> um, anyways, <laughs> but also, you know, sounds a bit sinister. Uh, no. it, yeah, I didn't really think of it that way, but yeah. But I mean, well, the, at yeah, the time, at the time, I was young and naive, and I was like, right, I don't, you know, I'm not ready for New York yet. Is was was mm. the uh, was the uh, ultimate yeah. uh, point of that thought process. So he was like, "Have you ever heard of the Banff Center of the Arts?" And I was like, uh, "No, what is that?" And so he's like, "Look into it." You know, I know the person over there, and then I and he like put me in contact and then I filled out the application and I got rejected. Um, it was a work huh. study program in Banff, Canada, which is like this national park with like elk walking through as you like walk. <laughs> it's kind of insane. Um, typical Canada. That's yeah, how we typical, are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't get it and I was super bummed. I remember writing Jim. I was like, hey, I didn't get in. I'm not really sure what to do. Do you have any recommendations? Or are there any studios that I could start interning at in New York that you can recommend? I never heard back from him. But like I had my ticket booked to go back to Atlanta because things were up in Spain. It was time to go. My visa was out like it was time. And I think like I think it was a week or two before I was leaving. Maybe it was just a week. Um, my mom called and was like, they called you from the BAMF Center. Um, can, you know, can you get in contact with them? And then I got an email that that somebody had dropped out. And if I was still interested in the spot that I, you know, that they would love, love to have me. And I was like, <laughs> sure. So I went home <laughs> that when I was supposed to go home and uh, the program was starting a week after I got home. So it was like complete luck of the draw that I was going home when I was going home. But like I literally I went home, I unpacked all my summer stuff. I packed all my winter stuff and I headed to Canada. Um, and so, yeah, I spent six months there. It was freezing. Um, 
It's beautiful, <laughs> but it's freezing. Uh, it's it's the northwest of Calgary, so it's like it's super duper cold. And I had never, I mean, I'd never really experienced cold like that. So, um, but it was an amazing experience. I learned a ton. Um, I met a lot of really great people. Um, I made lots of mistakes. <laughs> The program is only three months or it was at the time. I don't know if it still is, but it was three months. And, um, and then I just, I, they renewed me for another three months. Nice. Um, and then after that, a friend of mine got accepted to the Tanglewood music festival. And he was like, I think they still have a spot or two if you want to email. Cause it was past the deadline. Like I didn't know any of this stuff. Cause I ended up in classical music. Like all of these programs are Mm -hmm. usually like, McGill feeds into them um right all the like big classical schools feed into them and I was like this like random outsider that ended up in classical music and I mean I I my minors in classical piano I, I, I was piano performance so I it's not I, I'm not a stranger to classical music I love classical music but it just wasn't what I set out to do and so I ended up in this great place doing this stuff and then I got the fellowship um they ended up bringing me on as an uh, the audio fellow to the Tanglewood Music Festival which is um the Boston Symphony Orchestra Summer Series um which is super cool it's in the Berkshires in Massachusetts and they have like Mm -hmm. an outdoor lawn like you do audio and at on outdoors and, and there's this big lawn space. I don't know if you've ever been, but like you can do have picnics and wine and cheese and like listen to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. It's really cool. Sounds so, so nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then I landed in New York. One gig led to another one. And then Tanglewood, there was a guy there that used to work for Sony Classical and um, he was working on this Metropolitan Opera restoration project. And he said, hey, we're looking for another person. Why don't you work with us? And I, w- I wanted to live in New York. And I was like, but I was hated opera, hated it. And so I was like, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and so I spent the summer writing to every single studio in New York, every single one. And like, it just was impossible. I mean, I even um, Avatar at the time, the when it was Avatar, like I had an opportunity to, to do the internship there but it was 40 hours a week unpaid for three months and I was like who lives in New York City with no money like I don't Mm -hmm. understand so it just kind of like yeah exactly (laughs) so by the end of the summer um he kept mentioning it and I kind of changed my tune and I was like all right so tell me about this opera thing (laughs) love opera (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) and uh yeah and I ended up getting that and that was my first job making Mm -hmm. you know 15 dollars an hour um in New York uh, yeah. full time, but it was a great job. I learned a lot. I, I learned mm-hmm. to love opera. I actually do really like opera now. <laughs> Ooh. Um, and I worked part-time in Manhattan school of music and that's kind of what I did for the, like one of the first couple of years when I was here. Yeah. Wow. Was, was New York kind of like what you expected? Um, yeah. I mean, I it's funny because like everybody comes to New York to kind of like be somebody or like make it or like have some big dream and I literally my only reason for living in New York was that I wanted to be somewhere that resembled Europe like so that I could take public transportation and that like had old architecture and like was Mm. I could walk everywhere I hated driving I hated driving so like (laughs) that's all I wanted and so it was what I expected in that sense um I I didn't realize it was gonna be so like such a hustle like it was it was hard um Mm -hmm. it's not not everybody can survive uh, the city. It's it's it, it, rent is expensive. Um, in the beginning, all I did was work. All I did was work. I worked a full time forty hour job, 
a week. And then I, you know, would leave that one. And then I would go to Manhattan School of Music and record recitals till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Well, you know, the rinse and repeat on the weekends, I was recording more recitals. Um, mm -hmm. If I got freelance gigs, I would take freelance gigs like I was literally constantly working seven days a week. And, and it's funny because I every once in a while, uh, my Facebook memories pop up and it's like um, my <laughs> my memory is like, is not working on a Saturday. Woo! And I'm like, <laughs> oh, right. That's I remember that Saturday, nice. that one Saturday I didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was the best. So, <laughs> yeah, they are. They are the best. So, you know. It's, wow. it, New York is a tough place, but I mean, I think if you really want to make it work, you can make it work. So, yeah. uh, tired just thinking so, about that. <laughs> so, how how are you um, finding it now? But uh, what's changed since then? Okay. Living in New York. All right, we'll leave the pandemic till later. But oh yeah. <laughs> Um, what's changed since then? I, well, so I think like five years after doing the opera stuff, uh, so I'm, I started working with another one of the engineers when we, when we had like really, so the opera project was like everything from 1930, like whenever the Metropolitan Opera started, we would get all of their old reels and we were digitizing mm -hmm. them, mastering them, cleaning them up. And they would air on Sirius XM on the Metropolitan Opera channel. Cool. And then it would really CDs and stuff. So, but when we got stuff that was like particularly difficult and diff to deal with, we would send it to this other engineer, um, Andreas Meyer. And he happened to live, his studio was down the street from my house in Queens. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I started shuttling drives to him back and forth. It was like, I would just take drives and, um, and then we would get to talking. And then eventually I started working with him. Um, And at some point, I just kind of got tired of not making enough money to make ends meet, like never having anything and working so much that I decided to go back to do a master's. Um, you know, like you don't always need to get a master's, but I kind of was like, what else am I going to do? So I was going to go back for acoustics and try to get like a real job, according to my parents. Um, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. So like immigrant parents are like, when are you getting a real job? Um, what is it that you do? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> so um, I was like, all right, fine. This is it's time, you know. So uh, I didn't want to leave New York, though, but um You know, NYU had a recording program, but they didn't necessarily have an acoustics program. But I like worked out a deal where I could take classes uh, for acoustic stuff somewhere else and the credits would count. La la la. Anyways, long story short, I ended up back in the studio and that's where I recorded the um, Bobby Sanabria's album, The mm -hmm. Multiverse. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ended up doing... Uh, I don't think my, I don't think it was actually studio recording is not the title of that master's, but it's just the master's. And so, um, but what happened there was I met a lot of people. A friend of mine was an intern. Uh, she did an internship at NPR mm -hmm. and uh, she said they're hiring more freelance engineers. And so that's when I started doing radio. Um, I ended up getting the job as a freelance engineer at NPR and then that led to Bloomberg. And then eventually I got into Futuro Media as their engineer. Um, And so what I realized, uh, the radio jobs were my first like actual foray into full time, like not contract work. Like yeah. I am a full time employee with benefits. 
um, and all of this stuff and an actual schedule that I work this shift and and that is my life. Um, and taxes are taken out. I don't have to do that, which is another thing. Like I just like Mm -hmm. I got really tired of keeping track of my taxes. Like I hated doing my taxes every year. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, so then I did that. I enjoyed the peace of mind that having a full-time job gave me and kind of of never really looked back because I'm obviously I'm still working part-time for Futuro Um, but uh, I guess like two years into it I did kind of miss the music thing Um, and I put my resume in in a in the in for the EQL residency at Spotify um thinking good like knowing good and well like they're not going to call me because I'm a I'm going to be overqualified because I've already like done all this like stuff and I have a and I'm, I'm not technically a student and mm-hmm. um they didn't require you to be a student there were no rules about that but I just was like this isn't going to happen um and plus a lot of times on that online stuff it feels like you put your resume into a black hole and you never hear from them again and but I did and I got it. And so I stepped away from Futuro to do that because I, I like I had never had an opportunity to work in a commercial studio doing commercial music before. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, immigrant parents, they were like, you're going to do a free internship. What? Like, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. Like we, they did like they they weren't going to support me through something like that, especially in like the most expensive city in the world. Like my parents have always helped me if I needed like I've always been fortunate for that, like in a case of emergency and stuff and like schooling, but like not to not to take a free internship. So yeah. This was this was my like golden opportunity much later in life um, to do it. And I was really glad that I did. I mean, it was it was a tough six months, um, but I did it and I was happy that I did it. Um, and I got a lot of really cool recordings out of it. And I met a lot of really cool people again. And then once I came out of that, I decided, OK, I was like, I'm going to give the freelance thing a little bit of a try and see how it goes. And then I ended up signing back with Futuro right as the pandemic started, probably um, like early 2020, like April, May 2020, I signed on with them like part-time officially, like staff. So um, it was good. It's nice to have a hybrid and to be able to like do some music stuff, but then also like know that I'm getting X amount of money every month. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the nice happy balance. Yeah. So exactly. wait, so you, you're saying that you have your part-time with Futuro and mm-hmm. then freelancing kind of otherwise? Yeah. Taking on any like recording projects I can really so that I can keep my foot in the door with the music stuff because, you know, I always say podcasting pays for my music habit. So. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about like what you do at Futuro. Live, Live from, from Latina, Latina USA. Yes, yeah. yes. Tell us about that because then it seems like you got to incorporate music and everything yeah. into it. So yeah. So right before I left Spotify, right before I left to go to Spotify, um, there was a band that was coming in to do an interview, and I was like, on all four of them were coming, and I was like. They're all coming. Like, why don't we just have them play like a song and record it and see what happens? And so we dropped that one right after I left. Like, I still kind of like at night would try to finish stuff for them because I left very quickly. Um, And so I we did that one. And then when I came back, I just kind of like hit the ground running. And like Futuro has always been really cool because they're supportive of like 
kind of crazy ideas that um, I would kind of bring to the table. And um, and that was that. Like anytime we would do musician interviews uh, and if they were coming into the office, I would, you know, I would kind of pitch them doing this like live acoustic set. Um, and by set, I mean like seeing one or two songs really because like we didn't really have the bandwidth. I mean, we were a tiny office, so like we didn't have the the – the clout of tiny desk to come and hear a space for like two hours and have them play an entire concert, you know? So, and that just kind of became what it was. And I think we did probably like seven or eight of them before the pandemic hit. And then once the pandemic hit, it was just kind of hard. We, we like, I think we tossed around the idea of trying to do from home, but it never got off the ground. And now that like Mm -hmm. life is kind of getting back to normal, we're kind of like trying to reevaluate and see, um, what that's going to look like, you know, but, but it was a really cool project. I mean, uh, like one of the highlights for me was, um, having Jose Feliciano, who is like an icon. Um, and it was like, he was coming in for the interview and I, we, we tried really hard. We didn't know if it was going to happen. The, the song part. And he was like, they were, his team was like, well, we don't have that much time. And I said, look, I will say, I'll have everything set up. He can come in, plug in, sing, and be out. He's like, okay, you have 15 minutes. So I spent <laughs> like all morning getting everything checked, lines, had everything run, everything was good. His son came and checked his, like plugged in and tested the guitar. And, uh, and literally as soon as he was done with the interview, he came in, he sang a song, and he was out. It was super fast, but it was super rewarding and super great. Um, and uh, I think that one was our actually highest viewed Oh. Uh, ver, uh, a series the that video excuse me that was our highest viewed uh video because obviously he has a built-in ov- audience but he also sang uh, a, a puerto rican song called uh, en mi viejo san juan which is kind of like a big important song um for the puerto rican community and so it just kind of like took off and so it was really cool wow yeah. Yeah, that's rewarding yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it was super fun. I was happy that that it got like that people were into it, you know. So, mm-hmm. as I'm trying really hard to bring it back, but you know, the pandemic has <laughs> done yeah, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, yeah. it has. <laughs> so, what's your favorite part about your work? Because I now have two kids. Um, mm-hmm. Kids, it doesn't really change anything, but like. It does kind of take a minute, especially as the mom and like birthing to other humans <laughs> to like figure out who you are again. Um, and I just did a gig uh, in October that kind of reminded me of that like spark and that stuff that I used to love when I first got to New York and some of the projects that I would do. Um, you know, part of doing classical music was learning how to do remote recordings Um, and so Mm -hmm. we used to do a lot of those, like the thing that we did with Spike Lee that I did with Andreas, um, Mm -hmm. we took a remote kit and Spike was recording a scene for his movie, the blood of Jesus in a church. And he had a live band and he didn't Mm want to have the band in post. He wanted to track the band as they played the scene. And we were brought in to do that. And so like, I spent a lot of my early years in New York doing those kind of gigs, like lots Mm -hmm. of remote, like long days, lots of setup, you know, two computers running with splits to make sure we had backups and all this stuff. Um, 
And so it had been a really long time since I'd done anything like that. And um, a colleague called me for a project that she was doing. Um, and she had worked with me. Um, I had brought her in for Live from Latina USA, but also we had we were on a panel together at Spotify um, about studio stuff. And so and I got to do that. And I remember it was uh, in Williamsburg. So it was like right on the water and you could see the city. And I had all my remote gear mm -hmm. and like they were amazing musicians. She, she was actually the producer of the year for the Latin Grammys in 2018. So wow. the first woman to have won. Mm. Um, and I just remember like having one of those like New York moments and, and also like remembering what it was that really drove me to like really enjoy these moments because the, the musicians were insane. They were so good. And you get to record these like very unique moments like they're it's they're playing live and you, their energy that you get off of a live concert, which is, you know, something that we've all missed during the pandemic, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um it's very different, you know, and you have one opportunity to kind of like grab that moment. And so like there's a lot of adrenaline running and you're like, you know, running around, making sure everything is good. And so um, that, I think that's kind of like the the stuff that that really I enjoy the most about the job, um, which is part of the reason why I really enjoyed live radio in the beginning, because mm -hmm. the live aspect um, got my adrenaline running the same way that it would in these other gigs mm -hmm. that I used to do. So, <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Like uh, the live thing is like the scariest thing for me. So like, I'm kind of like a post, <laughs> I'm a student of post. I'm like, keep, nice. keep it not live. <laughs> the adrenaline will kill me. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I don't know. It just, it keeps you on your toes. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, it's, 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 a, I don't know. I like that. Yeah, and then, I, I kind of like drive off the energy. So, and then it's done when it's done and yeah that's also it. also true that was something that i you know you that that i can't yeah that you said that that is exactly like 100 percent. you're done and done like here's mm -hmm. your tracks and that's it yeah yeah i used to i used to see studio recording actually as very daunting because i was like man like six months in a studio and like working on these projects and you know, I always saw it as so scary, um, which is why I did love the live aspect because mm -hmm. it was, yeah, one and done. And But now it's like, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of nice to have a little hybrid of both. So, What would you say are the difficulties and how, how can, well, well, the world, I guess, make them better, make it easier? So breastfeeding is a challenge. Um, not all studios are going to be conducive to you having to pump, take pump breaks throughout the day because, you know, studios mm -hmm. are kind of like, go, 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 you know, they're not fully ready to, for women at all points in life, but it's not to say that you can't just like step away for a second. I don't think it's like a career ruining thing, mm -hmm. um, for you to take a moment to do that. And I mean, like it's, it's the other two, um, women who were with me in the residency, the one in uh, London and Nashville, I remember we, we have the conversation occasionally because I think they both eventually want families. And I was like, you know, like the, the important thing is to kind of establish yourself young because there's this whole like stress and myth that you have to have kids young and you don't like my, I had my first at 36 and my second mm -hmm. now at 39. And so like you, you can do a lot, like you can do a whole lot and you can establish yourself Establish yourself in your career, 
and then and then think about having a family. And then once you're established, then you have your family and then you can go back to doing what it is that you were doing. And you but you already like have a job. You already have people who recommend mm-hmm. you. You already have like at this point, like my name gets passed around in the in the audio mix um in the podcast world. Right. And like, you know, I had stuff lined up for me when I was coming off maternity leave that I set up before that they knew like, oh, you're going to go on maternity. No problem. Let's, you know, let's get you on, mm-hmm. let's get your stuff set up so that when you come back and you're, you're ready. Like, so I think that's important to just kind of like put your head to the ground, do the work. And then when you're ready to do that later, then you do that, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's reassuring. I think that's really good for people <laughs> to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your day to day? There's interviewing. Then, you know, there's a lot of cutting interviews. There's a lot of choosing tape. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, you know, on the back end, like building, building stuff out. Um, the loud podcast that we just wrapped, um, the history of reggaeton, um, was an amazing project to work on. And I came back after Matt leave and, and just kind of went to town on sound designing all 10 episodes. So like there's that aspect of production mm-hmm. too, where, where we just kind of like build out that they gave me scripts. And then I kind of like build, uh, the soundscape of what the episode's going to sound like scoring it. Um, you know, and then I worked uh, with the producers too to like keep them accurate about stuff and be like, this isn't working. Or like once I built, I think it was like episode nine, once I built it and I was like the first part just wasn't working. It was like super slow. And I was like, There's nobody's gonna listen to this. And and I said to them, I said, hey, you know, this first part's not really working. What if you move this here and la la la. And then mm-hmm. we worked together to kind of like with the writers um, to do that stuff. So there's kind of like a lot of different aspects of producing Um I didn't mix the podcast. Um, I kind of like that once the production aspect of that, there's you spend so much time on a piece at that point. Like the last thing I want to do is mix it. Like I don't (laughs) like you. I don't. I can't look at it anymore. Like it's Mm -hmm. it becomes too much. And so we we developed kind of an assembly line of of things. And uh, the person who did mix it, Stephanie LeBeau, she's the she's the head engineer at um, at Futuro now. And so you know, she did a really great job mixing the podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of how production works. And I, I found that I really liked it. Um, I always felt that I could never really tap into where my creativity could come to light with my technical side. Cause I always like, I really loved the tech aspect of audio and I was really into all the techie stuff that I did, but I always had this creative side that I never I could never figure out how to get them to come together. And so like, I I also used to dance uh, ballroom dancing. So originally I was like doing like dance versus audio. And I was like part-time, I was, that was one of my other jobs in New York when I first got here was teaching ballroom dancing. And so like, I was like the studio and the ballroom studio were on the same, it was on 57th street. And so like I would go from one to the other and that was my creative outlet. Like, so I would, I was like doing this creative thing here. And then I had like my super techie, nerdy music <laughs> stuff here. Um, but radio is where I finally figured out how to bridge my creative and my techie with the sound design stuff. And then it just kind of like all came to a head and it was like, okay, 
this is this is working better for me now because now I don't I, dancing feels like a whole like another lifetime at this point. But um, it, it's 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 a great it's a great place to be like it's fun to be creative with uh, which is why I didn't go back as a strict strict engineer for right. Futuro. And I still mix podcasts as freelance because sometimes it's nice to just do stuff that I don't really have to think about much because pre- like producing, you do have to kind of like be in it. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it, that I, I like the production and and having the techie side as a producer makes it easier to do like really crazy stuff in the sound design, um, which, you know, if you're doing post, you know how that works. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so. I'm impressed with like as you record, you sound design. You like you seem to you did a little bit of live, a little bit of you're like an audio yeah, wizard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you, you, and you dance and you um, bench press monitors. So <laughs> very oh, impressed. Yeah, very it's impressed. all around. <laughs> I used to call myself the dancing audio engineer. Oh, that's good. That's a good tagline. Genie, yeah, yeah. the dancing audio engineer. <laughs> What okay. advice do you have to anyone looking to uh, find their way in the audio realm? Um, I think the the best piece of advice is to like not shy away from doing things. Like you might not start out doing the thing that you wanted to do. Example: When I first started, I wanted to work in Latin music, but I ended up in classical music, and that's fine because the classical music eventually I landed doing Latin music now, which is what I'm trying to focus on now. Um, so if, even if your journey is going to take you around different ways, like you'll always learn audio is audio. As long as you learn signal flow and you know how to record and you know how to set your gain on a preamp, like you're fine. I mean, the, the, the concepts are all the same. The instruments might change a little bit. Um, but you know, once you lay the foundation, you can kind of take that anywhere you want to go. And there's so much you could do within audio, like you shouldn't shy away to doing the things. And like, part of the reason that I've gotten to do some of the stuff that I've gotten to do is just because I literally did everything within audio. And then I figured out what I liked more than the other one. Um, and, and then I applied that into the new things that I'm doing. And now I'm doing stuff that I really enjoy, but like, it might have taken me longer in some aspects, but I think it's really important to kind of, they always say like, if you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. But like, I kind of think it's important to know how to do a lot of different things because then you can do all of those different things and, and offer that to people say, Oh, I, you know, I can do this, this X, Y, and Z. I can do all of it. Like, so um, I think it's important to be open to whatever job might be on the table and like know that eventually it might lead you to doing something else and make the most of it. Like make the Mm -hmm. most of those opportunities, learn, negotiate. Like if you need studio time, don't be afraid to ask for what you need to like get the most out of something that an an opportunity. And that's, that's my, that's my advice. Look, I mean, EQL was a brand new thing. They had never done it before. Um, they wanted somebody more experienced in the New York site because of the clientele that was coming into the New York space. And so they ended up giving me the gig, but like on paper, it might've looked like a cool plan, but I don't, they didn't really have it sussed out. So it took a lot of conversations because when I first got there, they didn't really know 
we didn't know what to do with me. No, nobody knew what to do with me. Like it, it was like, all right, it's not exactly an internship. It's technically a residency. Like where am I going to fit in onto the session days? And mm-hmm. like, you know, a residency is like, if you take a doctor's residency, you are operating on people. Like you're not <laughs> sitting around and watching and like, shadowing. yeah. And, yeah. So like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not asking to hit the record button when John Legend comes in because I would probably lose my, like, I would, like, I wasn't ready for that, Mm. but I could negotiate when there was no studio time to see if I could bring in my own bands and record my own stuff so that Mm -hmm. when I left there, I would have credits on things that I had done. So you don't necessarily have to like negotiate for like the big brass ring mm-hmm. because like they're not going to say yes to that. But you can negotiate other things that like might work out for you. And they were willing to do it. They were okay with that. Like and so that's 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 how that worked out. And that's how I got to like and then I like pitched every band under the sun. Like every mm-hmm. single Latin act that I kind of like admired in the New York area. And even the ones that I that weren't in the New York area, and some of them said yes, and like I mean, it's free studio time. Why would like it would be yeah. dumb to say no? So they, they and that's how I got some like some of these cool projects that came out of there. Aside from mm-hmm. like being able to watch the John Legend session, which did blow my mind, but you know, like so it's <laughs> it's it's important to to really like ask and advocate because like the worst people are going to say is no, and if you get the yes, then like then you get to yes. So. Yeah. Oh my God. Lots of good advice. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. Jeannie, mm-hmm. you're super cool. And uh, yeah. it's been awesome to talk it's with you. It's been really nice. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed chatting. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. Do you love to talk to people about their lives and our industry? Do you have creative ideas you would love to do with the podcast? Well, listen up, because we've got an opportunity for you. We're looking for some passionate, dynamic host volunteers that would be interested in taking the reins of the Sound Girls podcast this coming May. Our vision with the Sound Girls podcast is to pass it on to Sound Girls that have the desire to build the best Sound Girls podcast possible, to inspire and empower young women and girls in our field. If this opportunity sounds intriguing to you, or if you're thinking... Wow, I really want to hear my voice on the Sound Girls podcast. Then check out the news tab at soundgirls.org for more information, as well as to access the hosting application. The deadline to apply is February 1st. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Working on The Matrix was probably my favorite because at the time we didn't know what that movie was going to be, but we knew something was going to happen. And to see the phenomenon that movie became was amazing. And then to be involved in the sequels it's still the highlight of my career is just being involved in that. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel.
Hey there, this is Tim from Tonebenders. Check out our latest episode featuring the sound team behind the hit series, The Mandalorian. They tell us about making the sounds of lightsabers and seismic bombs, and they discuss their approach to creating the endless array of new creature sounds that the Star Wars universe conjures up. Listen wherever you find podcasts or at tonebenderspodcast.com.